5 in 3, 2, 1, roll the footage. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today, my guest needs no introduction. But if you were living under a rock, he is the author of Vivid Vision, The Second in Command, and many other amazing books. He is known as the CEO Whisperer, who scaled hundreds of companies in different positions. He's the founder of the COO Alliance, the number one place where really COOs meet mastermind learn from each other and with each other i'm happy to have cameron here welcome everybody cameron Harold. hi simon nice to have you thanks for having me we can learn so much from you you have uh, built companies led companies you are the ceo whisperer we are all busy here and we are a little bit overwhelmed we have small businesses we don't know when to put an operator in command how to do that how to decide it and we want to know everything about your book but let's start with you when did you learn how to delegate and when to delegate wow when did i learn how to delegate so i've i've been an entrepreneur for a long time i was when i was 20 years old i had 12 full-time employees in my first company so i was already running a business at quite a young age and I guess effectively at that point, I learned how to delegate. I hired very early on in the first couple of weeks, I hired someone to train all of my employees because I recognized that someone, who, I was running a house painting company and I recognized that somebody who had a lot more skills at painting houses could train my employees much better than I could. Mm. So I literally just hired someone and absolutely delegated to them and let them do it. So they were much better. And I recognized that in the very earliest stages. And then I delegated the overseeing of different jobs to, to managers or to foremen. So very early on, I think I learned to delegate. Then later in my business career, um, I was running another business. I hired my first executive assistant. And I think that was a time when I then learned how to delegate and get other things off my plate that used to bog me down where I used to just work hard and I would work long hours and I would crank through work and I would get lots done but it wasn't necessarily the critical few things. It wasn't necessarily the high impact things. I was just getting the busy work done that needed to get done. So the first thing is to make two lists, right? There's the busy work, we have to do that. And, but then there are a few things that are higher leverage. How did you find the higher leverage one? Well, first it, in the early stages, it was when I had the executive assistant, it was recognizing that I could not delegate a lot of the things that required a lot more skill set, that required a lot more business acumen, but I was able to delegate the more, more menial, repetitive, um, more you know, entry-level kind of tasks. So that's when I, when I was able to do that. I started to then see the leverage because I had more time in the day to work on the more critical few things, the higher impact things. I also was not getting as drained, my energy wasn't drained because I was starting to work on the stuff that I was good at and that fired me up and gave me good, good energy. Uh, and then later in my business career again, I was then starting to hire solid people in operations who I could delegate things to that I was even really good at, but I didn't necessarily love doing. 
And that was another switch that clicked for me is that when I'm only working on the stuff that I'm really, really good at and I love to do, productivity goes really fast. And fast forward now, when you run your businesses now, or if you would start a business tomorrow, how, what would you delegate and how, how would you delegate? Yeah, if I was starting one tomorrow, I would probably get all of the email and social media communication off my plate quite early. I would be delegating, you know, anything that again is the important work, but not the critical work or the, the work that is just, if I was to pay someone all day long, all week long, all year to do that one task, I would be getting all the tasks off my plate that are below my effective hourly rate. So I would try to understand what my real hourly rate is and then you know what would I be able to charge for that. So as an example, I was just offered a, a, a three-hour um, coaching engagement and it's $10,000 an hour for three hours. So my effective hourly rate is, is very high. It used to be about $4,000 an hour. Apparently now someone's willing to pay me $10,000 an hour for three hours and, and they're a group that I've done work for in the past. So. I now know that if I'm only doing that stuff that I'm amazing at, I should be delegating stuff off my plate that is $25, $50, $100 an hour tasks because I'm better served to even go out and find the bigger ticket items versus working on the smaller ticket items that take up my time. Love this. And that has freed up time for you to write a series of books. I've read The Vivid Vision. I love it. and. And it, if, if people didn't read it, the vivid vision is how you do the whole goal setting and mission clarification work on a very different level. You embody what you want to live so that you feel it in the moment when you decide, when you take all these decisions, you feel it because you have it in your body. You, you have visualized it. You know how you want it, your future to feel. And so in the moment when you have to take a decision, boom, you got it in yours, in your body and you can decide and move along in the right direction. Great book. Thank you. Well, and the other po powerful part of Vivid Vision, when you craft this four or five page description of your company three years in the future, when you start sharing that description of what your company looks like, acts like and feels like three years in the future and you share that with all of your employees, potential employees, customers, suppliers, everyone can finally see what you can see, which allows them to start making the decisions the way that you would make decisions. They can feel it in their blood as well. And that's often the problem that entrepreneurs have is we're trying to, we get frustrated that people can't read our mind or that they don't make the same decisions. Well, the reason they don't make the same decisions is they don't see what you can see. So if you can craft something in a way to allow them to see what you can see, they'll start making decisions that are more aligned with the way that you would normally have made them. Absolutely. I love this. We use it for for onboarding, but already in the interview for the job candidate, I share that because they need to know what it is. And then in the onboarding, it's 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 even part of the onboarding, because, as you say, it's a compass for decision making. Oh, absolutely. What's really beautiful about the whole um, onboarding component, when you share the vivid vision with everyone, you're also going to turn a lot of people away. Yeah. They're going to read the description of what your company feels like, and they're going to say, there's no way I want to be a part of that. It doesn't sound like anything that is exciting for me. So they're going to say no to that. 
and you're going to magnetize and pull people together that really want to build what you're building. So right from the very, very beginning, they're coming in aligned and excited and inspired, just like you want them to be. And your current book is the second in command. Tell mm -hmm. us about the, the process of writing that book. Yeah, there's so many books out there for entrepreneurs, right? There's a lot of mastermind communities out there for entrepreneurs. And it seems like every business podcast is for entrepreneurs. But the reality is there's other people running the company besides the CEO or the entrepreneur. And I've played that second in command role a number of times for a number of businesses that grew very quickly and very large. And when I was doing that, I recognized that I wanted to absorb information, digest information and take on ideas in a different way than the entrepreneur way. Most entrepreneurs like to, to get the, the bottom line or the executive summary. They don't want all of the detail and all the, the, the information, whereas the entrepreneur or the COO, the second in command tends to ask more questions and get a lot more of the systems in place and they want to go deeper into each of the ideas. So the book, The Second in Command is written for entrepreneurs to understand how do you find a second in command? Once you find them, how do you interview them and select them and then onboard them and train them? And then once you've hired them and you've got them into your company, how do you build a strong relationship with them? What systems do you put in place to build stronger trust and communication? And it's also written for the COO to understand how do they find a company that they're going to gel well with. So it's really written for both parts. Yes, and I realize you have to first help this the founder, C CEO usually, to to really be ready and to onboard somebody, and then you have to train the person that they onboarded, right? Right. Well, what what happens in the entrepreneurial companies? We only start a company for one of three reasons: to give us money to give us free time so that we can control our time and do what we want when we want. And then to have a sense of accomplishment, right? To put a flag in the ground and say, we did it. You know, look, Ma, no hands, right? Look what we did. Well, once you've got your business up and running and you've got some employees, you've got that accomplishment, you've started your company. And at some point you've got cash coming in and you're making good money. The chance then is to be able to use some of that money to give yourself a better life and to start hiring the right people who will allow you to scale the company in a more profitable way, a faster way, and in a way that frees you up to work on the stuff that fills you with energy. So then all of a sudden you can get your company to a, a scale that you're working on the stuff that fulfills you, you're working on work that, that you're really good at, you're making good money, but you're not working 80 hours a week because you've put people in place that can actually run the company for you. So it's just a, it's a way to actually get to the goals that most entrepreneurs in the back of their mind have, but they never intentionally set out to do. And, and one thing that I hear often is, oh my God, but a COO kind of person is just a cost center. I mm. would love to bring in profit centers because that's a, a lower risk decision, but a cost center is such a high risk decision. Does it need, to, need be that way? Yeah, it, 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 well, it is. There is a cost, right? When you have an employee with salary and benefits, there's definitely a cost there. But if you have them working on the proper things and you have them growing the people that are reporting to them, you should be able to get an incremental return on that investment. So my guideline is to tell an entrepreneur that if they hire a COO or they hire a VP ops or a director of operations or an operations manager, whatever the title is of your second in command, 
try to have them generate four times their salary in terms of gross margin for the business. So and how do they, they measure that? For, yeah. They have to look for revenue gains. They have to look for cost savings. Hmm. They have to look to optimize and automate processes. They have to look to be able to free up your time so that you can go generate revenue. But the goal should be that they're generating four times the gross margin of their salary. So if you're paying them $150,000, their goal is to generate another $600,000 in gross margin, which is probably about a million dollars in sales. And I can imagine also and training them in, in, in sales from current operations, like look at our current clients work and identify moments where we should ask for referrals, for ex expansion, for extension. That's right. And it's also the, the kind of role that you're looking for there um, is it's, 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 about, it's about recognizing the person you're bringing in is going to already be good at the stuff you need them to do, right? If you're hiring the, pro the proper people, there shouldn't be a ton of training on how to do their job. Mm. The training should be more about the cultural and the alignment with the team and the alignment with the company and, and getting them to understand the industry and the customers. But in terms of their ability to do the job, if you've done the interview properly, these people already have the skills to do the job that you're hiring them to do. Let's say I bring in a CEO and it's not working out. How do I find out if it's the wrong candidate or if it's the right candidate and I am managing them poorly? Hmm. Well, one is that if, when you have doubt, you have no doubt. So if your gut is telling you that something's wrong, there's usually something wrong. But again, if you're trained on interviewing, if you as an entrepreneur have gone through some basic level training, on, which is one of the modules of my course, Invest in Your Leaders, if you've at least understood the interview and hiring process and you know for sure you're hiring the right person, then you've probably got the right person. Then it comes down to just aligning them and supporting them and, and giving them time on their first week and, their, and every week for their first bunch of months to have time with you one-on-one -on -one to talk through everything. Right, talking through their projects, making sure that they understand the team, talk, talking about any of the communication struggles that they're having or any of the barriers they're bouncing up to, but really giving them time to ask questions and you to ask questions to make sure that they're in sync. I think often we spend a lot more time on the interviewing and hiring process than we do in the onboarding of the new person. And we often believe that just because they have all the skills to do the job, we don't have to spend any time on the onboarding and that's a huge mistake. I want to know what makes you happy as a dog after one word from our sponsors. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprint's blueprints. How they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprint's method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprints 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategysprints.com. What makes Cameron happy as a dog? Uh, right now, it's spending time with my wife and kids and just exploring the world. Uh, we sold everything two years ago, two and a half years ago, and we've been traveling full time ever since. 
So right now I'm doing this call from Dubai. I'll be in Dubai for the month. Then we head up to Norway to chase the Northern Lights. Then we're heading over to Japan to go skiing with a group of friends, he heading over to Korea. So it's just being able to explore the world. And we were really kind of chasing down our bucket lists. My wife and I have both written down our bucket lists and we're both spending time trying to find out ways that we can actually do more and more of that bucket list travel together. So that, that's what makes me happy as a dog. It's funny, every entrepreneur who doesn't need to work anymore that was on the show, they, they are very, very active in, in chasing experiences, in experiencing places, people, but also, but also they work and they work a lot and they have fun and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, I've been chasing down bucket list experiences my whole life. You know, when I was 25 years old, I traveled around the world and did 18 countries by myself. I've always been doing great activities. I've always been going to amazing ski resorts. I've always been, you know, exploring even in my own city. So I've always looked to do, you know, playing sports, doing better hikes, running faster races. I've always been chasing down bucket list experiences. And I think for me, that's one of the reasons why I became an entrepreneur was to be able to have the time to do what I want, even as I'm starting to build the company, not waiting for a day to be successful so that I can afford to do it or I have the time to do it because you, you don't know what, how much time you're going to have or you don't know how much time you're going to have to be um, physically able. Or even if you're lucky, why have you missed those 30 or 40 years when you could have been enjoying it too? So I think for anybody who's listening, it's about doing it today. You know, you can go off and explore things in your own city. But what I would encourage people to do is make a list of the top 101 things that they want to do or try or experience or see before they die and then start sharing that bucket list with as many people as possible so that they can actually, you know, have better lives as well. But they can also help you get some of this stuff done. And so what are right now your highest leverage activities? Is it writing books, uh, strategic partnerships? Is it something else? Yeah, for me, the highest leverage activities have been fairly consistent for the, about the last 20 plus years. It's doing um, speaking events and it's doing media interviews. So being on your podcast is a high leverage activity because it allows me to share my ideas and my brand and my, my tools with a lot bigger audience. And then also doing paid speaking events, often in person, but also over Zoom. I've had groups pay me in 28 countries to come and speak to their groups. So the ability to actually get paid to deliver my content and share is a very high leverage activity for me. And what are you doing to supercharge your relationships? Well, my wife and I have actually written a, a bucket list and a vivid vision for ourselves. So we mm. each have written a bucket list for our lives. And we're working at crossing those off with each other. And then we've written a vivid vision, a five page description of our marriage together and mm. how we show up as a married couple with our friends, family, fitness, finance, um, spirituality, sexuality, what we do for fun, vacations. It's about a five page description of our marriage and how we show up three years from now. And we're chasing down every sentence of that. As, so that's probably what we're focusing on right now that's supercharging us. Oh, that's beautiful. What are you experiencing right now on your book tour? Are you, are you learning new facets about your topic, second in command? Yeah, what's really been interesting about understanding the second command is how many people have overused the title COO, which I kind of knew to be true, but I've really experienced it a lot where people are talking about wanting to hire a COO 
And when I sit down and talk to them about the five core things that decide what the title is, most of them should be hiring a director of operations, not a COO. It's still their second in command, but it doesn't have a big title and a big amount of pay. Right? The title that you put on somebody in that second in command role should be based on the amount of strategic insight they bring to your company, mm-hmm. the amount of P&L responsibility that they have in running the finances and the budgeting of your business, the amount of autonomy that they can have in their role, meaning they can just show up and do the job. They don't need to be managed at all because they've done this before. The level of strategic insight that they can bring into your company, whether they can come in and actually direct strategy and direct the organization versus, again, being told what to do. And then the amount of leadership skills they have around the people side of the business, where they've got a lot of strong skills around situational leadership, coaching, delegation, managing projects, handling conflict, time management, um, running one-on-one meetings, doing interviews. You know, all the skills that most entrepreneurs never actually get trained in, the second commands that are really strong in that end up moving into the COO title, but they also deserve a, a salary or compensation it's actually much more equivalent to that. You have an academy where we can learn those things, right? I do. We have what's called the COO Alliance. And the COO Alliance is um, really the only network of its kind in the world for the second command. It's an organization that allows COOs from all over the world to collaborate with each other, to meet online together. To uh, We also have two in-person events every year that they can attend in person. Um, and that's, that's one group that we've been running. We've got members now from 17 countries. They need a minimum of $5 million in revenue to qualify, and the average size member is around $40 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. We also have a course that a lot of the second commands are going through called Invest in Your Leaders, and this is me teaching the core content on my core leadership skills, some of the ones I just rattled off. Um, but that content has really been strong in helping operations people to scale. And then we started another mastermind last year called the Ops Spot. And the Ops Spot is a mastermind community for anyone in like a director, vice president, or manager role, anyone managing people. It's an online mastermind community for people in operations roles. And you are also, according to what I see on Facebook, you are also in, in powerful masterminds still. Uh, you have been in many, many, many uh, over the decades. Are you still in masterminds? And what are you looking for when you, when you pick masterminds right now? Yeah, I, I am still in masterminds. I'll attend four different mastermind communities in 2023. So I, I went to my eighth uh, annual Genius Network event with a group of about 350 entrepreneurs. I went to an event in Uganda with a group of entrepreneurs. Uh, we went hiking for a week in Uganda with gorillas. I attended... Um, Oh, shoot. What are the other ones that I went to this year? Oh, Baby Bathwater in Croatia, which was 250 entrepreneurs on a private island in Croatia. Um, There was a fourth one that I did this year as well. But yeah, I I definitely, I've got another one booked um, this fall in Laos and Cambodia, where we're going to be going to with a group of entrepreneurs there. So just plugging myself into the communities, I get inspired, I get new ideas, it raises my level of kind of vibration in terms of the entrepreneurial community, but it also allows me to be inspired by all these people that are optimistic and driving forward and doing good things. So yes, I'm, I've been in mastermind communities for well over 20, 20 years now. I love this. Oh, the Ted and- conference. I, I went mm-hmm. to the, my 10th, uh, my 10th five day, the main Ted conference. So that was another one that I've been going to for years. <laughs> 
And if you could design the best mastermind for yourself on the planet, which ingredients would you put in there? It would be really fun entrepreneurs who are building better lives and better communities and better businesses. It would be a global group of entrepreneurs, so way out of the US market and out of the Canadian market and much more into the European, um, South America, the Middle East. Um, so I just want more of a global perspective. I think those would be the three areas. And then no jerks, you know, no assholes. Mm. No I like that. <laughs> uh is is Dubai also uh, mastermind driven like the US and Europe? It's not as much mastermind driven, but it's definitely as entrepreneurial as the US. I think there's currently four entrepreneurial hotspots on the planet. Dubai, Portugal, Austin, Texas, and Bali mm. tend to be what I've seen as the four real entrepreneurial hotspots. Mm. So yes, Dubai is very entrepreneurial. There's lots of, of business conferences, business events. But there's not a lot of mastermind communities over here yet. And a selfish question. I'm writing my second book now. What did you learn about book writing and book publishing and promoting that, 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 that you can give me as a tip what not to do or what to do? I, I learned that I like having a book written, but I don't like the act of writing a book. I find mm -hmm. that writing a book is very hard. Um, I've written six books now. I was a terrible student in English. I'm a much better speaker than I am at the written word. But when I wrote my first book, I decided to talk out my content. And this was back in around 2009 or 2010. I used a software program back then called Dragon Dictation with a Bluetooth headset. And I wrote a table of contents for my book. And then for each chapter, I wrote down the top five to seven things that I wanted to talk about or cover in each chapter. And then I walked around my home just talking and transcribing all of the content. I then sent all of that written transcribed content to an, an editor. They helped polish it. And then I sent it off to a bunch of entrepreneurs and asked them what I was missing. Mm. They came back and told me what I was missing. I talked through the rest of that content and had a writer write the content up again. So that was the process that I used. Then I got introduced to a company called Scribe. And Scribe Media um, wrote four of my books with me, where I did that exact same process, but they had all the internal teams. They had the writers, they had the, the copy editors, they had the people for pre-press, they had the designs. So it was working with them that it helped me get all the content out of my head really quickly and into a good format for a book. Um, but yeah, that, that's been my process all along. I never sat down and actually typed it. I talked all of my content and then we typed it afterwards. Love this. Where, where should we follow your journey? Where can we see a little bit about your Dubai uh, journey and world, world journey? I would take a look at my wife's YouTube channel because she creates YouTube videos of everywhere that we've gone in the world and it's called Ever Wander Travel. Um, that's a great way to actually take a look at our, uh, our journey and where we're going. And then also just follow me on Instagram and you'll see lots that I'm covering and where we are all over the world, both from a cool. business and a personal perspective. Cool. Many entrepreneurs listening in the US, in Europe right now, um, if, if they think, hmm, I'd love to be a strategic partner to Cameron, what are you looking for in strategic partnerships? Who is a good partner for you? 
Well, one that we're really missing right now is a couple of mid-sized digital marketing agencies that can deliver for companies with smaller budgets. You know, a budget of, call it $10,000 to $25,000 a month. Um, I really need a couple of good digital marketing agencies that can work really well, that, have, that are proven, that can deliver great work. Um, because I do have a couple of digital marketing agencies, but they require more like fifty dollars to $80,000 a month in ad spend. So that's one partner. But right now I have copywriters, um, fractional CFOs, fractional CMOs, fractional COOs, executive search firms, M&A firms. I've got a whole host of, of partners that we refer out. Uh, but that would be one gap that we're missing right now. I love this. How do you structure your partnerships? Um, they tend to they they tend to be companies that are vetted that i really understand the team and the quality of their content the quality of their delivery of their product i end up getting a referral fee so i take a 10 percent commission for the life of the client from all of my clients um, and then because i'm referring them so many great businesses they take really good care of my clients that i'm introducing them to so my clients get a very good quality vetted partner and they also know they're going to get treated really well because the client, the company knows they're going to get 10 more customers from me. They want to treat everybody really well. They're, they're not willing to lose one customer because that would probably mean losing 10. That's great. All have skin in the game. It's a win-win-win situation. Totally. And then for me, you know, I've, I've been working on my network and understanding these partners for some of them for 10 to 12 years. So. You know, companies can go out and find an executive search firm on their own and stumble through that process, or they can email me and I can introduce them to the right search firms and that's going to help them find the right talent. One question that I'm discussing with super connectors like you is when you know so many people over decades, how do you remind, how do you not forget them? Because I'm starting to forget people that I meet during the oh, week. Yeah. I have a CRM in place. I think it's properly organized. I still do not remember everyone. How do you remember people? I have a wife who is incredible at remembering people. Um, that's one. Secondly, I, I just try to remember the critical few people versus the important many. Um, I try to keep up with people on social media, so on Facebook and Instagram, just so that I you know, know who are there. But yeah, it's about keeping track of the critical few, which tends to be the other connectors for me. Um, you know, if, if I'm friends with a dozen people that are all super connectors and I have really, really great relationships with them, I don't need to remember the 150 people because I have great relationships with 12 and they know the 12 and that replicates pretty quickly. So it's usually about me having, so the names are, you know, just, just Joe Polish and Yannick Silver and Jason Gaynard and Hollis Carter and Ted, you know, Tim Ferriss and just really being connected with people that are um, other really smart connectors. That's probably, I guess, my secret sauce because I'm not good at keeping it all, you know, in a CRM. I wish I was. <laughs> and where where is the best play to, uh, the place to follow you? Do you have a favorite social? Like, for example, if people want to meet me, they have to go on Twitter at Simon Severino because everything else is done by my team, but Twitter is actually me, so they get to me. Yeah. Do you have a place where it's actually you? Uh... Yes. LinkedIn is managed by my team, although I tend to respond to comments on my posts. So if mm. people are commenting on my posts on LinkedIn, 
that tends to be me replying to their comment. Mm -hmm. Anyone making comments on my YouTube videos, it's always me replying to them mm. on my comments on my YouTube videos. On Instagram, it tends to be me replying to all comments and all DMs on Instagram. On Facebook, I have a social media manager who manages most things on Facebook. Um, again, I tend to reply to more of the comments there. And it seems like a low leverage of my time to be replying to comments. But for me, that's the engagement with the people that are engaged with me. It's me remembering and being cognizant of who is devouring my content that I can reach out to. Um, I tend to not sell to them. I tend to have a social media person and a salesperson who might be reaching out in my DMs and, and selling on my behalf. But that's how I do it. I do actually reply to comments on my own. I love this. And I like how you differentiate and, and pick, pick the places where you are actually present and the reasons why you're present. So what's the best way? This is Cameron Herald, everyone. And his latest book is The Second in Command. Please pick up also The Vivid Vision if you haven't. But his latest book is The Second in Command. Where is the best place to stay in contact with you for everyone? Yeah, I would, I would take a look at LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the best two places or LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. You're definitely going to find me on all. Uh, but definitely take a look at my Second in Command podcast channel. We have got an incredible podcast. We've interviewed 330 Second in Commands. We're getting roughly 100,000 full listens on a monthly basis currently. Um, so you're going to get some great content. You're not going to connect with me as much, but you'll definitely get some great content there. And then all of my books are available on Amazon, Audible and iTunes. Thank you, Cameron. You, you have shared a ton of good energy, some really, really tactical advice and checklists from your experience. Thank you so much for being here. Keep rolling. Thank you, Simon. Appreciate the time. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one Sprint Coach. We double your revenue in 90 days. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprint's blueprints. How they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprints method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprints 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to Strategy.